WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. From Albany to Astoria Boulevard and Norwood to Niagara Falls and right here in Brooklyn, it's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and throughout New York State, it is primary eve and you are listening to Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from GothamGazette.com. Jarrett, good to see you. You too. We are here on primary eve. So much to talk about. Big night. Big night. I uh, am a somewhat practicing Jew, and so, you know, this is as close as I get to a Christmas Eve type feeling is the <laughs> night before an election. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about uh, tomorrow's votes. We've been doing, obviously, a lot of coverage at Gotham Gazette, as you have at City Limits, many of our colleagues, lots to discuss, lots to dissect, some amazing coverage of candidates, races, money flowing in at the last minute, money being spent. People not campaigning, the governor hiding his public events on the last day before the primary because he doesn't want reporters there to ask him questions. There's a lot going on. I think you know you and I are uh, political junkies and are professionally and morally committed to covering elections because we think it's important. So we were going to cover these races anyway, and we talked about this months ago. I think it's safe to say that this has ended up being a more interesting election season than I anticipated. Um, really almost across the board, from the governor's race, um, raising, I think, a lot of interesting issues, a lieutenant governor's race, which has not occurred in, in our in our lifetimes, really, um, the uh, attorney general's race obviously kind of being dropped on us mid-year, all the state senate candidacies, a lot of big themes, a lot of interesting local races, a lot of uh, compelling personalities, so it really has been worth covering. It's been great. I mean, it's, you know, as, as again, as a political junkie as well, it's fascinating, it's interesting, it's fun. It's also very serious. There's a lot on the line. There's a major struggle for the soul here of the Democratic Party in New York. Um, it obviously has national implications as well. We're seeing this across the country where you have the sort of progressive wing really fighting with the more establishment. You know, I, I hesitate sometimes to say centrist, but in some cases more centrist, I guess we could say. You obviously saw this with the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton primary where she was sort of being coronated and then he said not so fast, even though he's not even really a member of that party. Um, but it galvanized a lot of people on the left and we're seeing that very much in New York, and folks should know, of course, that the real action happening tomorrow is on the Democratic side. Republicans have avoided any primaries in the four statewide positions, and mostly there's no primaries against sitting Republicans across the board, and Democrats have not uh, done that, not only in the statewide positions, except Comptroller, where Tom DiNapoli's sitting back and relaxing, um, but in these IDC races for state Senate, which we've had many of those candidates and their challengers on this program, and even other races. So it's it's really a fascinating day coming tomorrow on the Democratic side. Many races to be aware of, to vote in if you're eligible. Um, I should say there are a few Republican primaries. There's a state Senate race in Queens, an assembly race on Staten Island, a couple others. So it's not totally devoid of that action. We have had many of those Democratic candidates because that is where the action is on our show and 
Today's show, because it's Primary Eve, is going to be a bit of a, a break in format. We are going to have a guest in a little while, and Ben will talk about that soon. But really, we're going to be discussing some of the races we've been following, sort of getting to some of the big storylines for folks who are just tuning in, because some folks are just tuning in on Primary Eve, and that's fine. We also want to hear what you're thinking about, what your questions are. Uh, so we're opening up the phones right away at WBAI 99.5 FM. The number is... Three four seven three three five zero eight one eight. Again, three four seven three three five zero eight one eight. Call in. Tell us what's on your mind. Uh, a quick call so we can get lots of thoughts in, including all of our own. Um, but uh, we want to hear from from you. And and Ben, you mentioned the seriousness of the race. And really, I think it's been framed even in this last week. Um, traditionally, the primary week can feel a little quiet in the city because of the September 11th anniversary, because of Jewish holidays. But we actually had a couple of huge stories, or at least they seem huge, about the governor's race come out really in the in the waning hours. So we had, I mean, Governor Cuomo, we should say, over the course of this campaign has made quite a few unforced errors, um, some maybe that in some ways helped him a little bit. He had this, you know, moment where he said America was never that great, um, which mostly folks on the right really picked up on. But he also wound up having to clean that up. And, and he was even attacked by some on the left. And Cynthia Nixon poked him on that. Um, but more recently, even he seemed to possibly rush this bridge opening. He brought in Hillary Clinton to do a ribbon cutting on Friday, six days before the primary. He's been very much using the powers of his office to highlight himself and his accomplishments and turning a bunch of what seemed to be government events into pseudo campaign rallies. Again, not necessarily crossing lines, but blurring lines and incumbents do that. And that's part of politics, I suppose. Um, but then this new span of the Mario M. Cuomo Bridge, with the gov- which the governor had named after his father at the close of last legislative session, which happens to also, of course, have his name on it, um, was not ready to be open. There was some controversy around whether they had pressured the contractors into into an early announcement. Um, so that was that was a problem over the weekend. And then there was this flyer, right? This flyer sent to I think it was seven thousand addresses, uh, which um, basically implied, I think, is the least strongly one say, strongly implied <laughs> that Cynthia Nixon was soft on anti-Semitism and embraced some movements that are. Um, um, controversial in those neighborhoods like the boycott, divest, and sanction movement um, regarding Israel, uh, disavowed at first by uh, by Cuomo, and uh, um, hasty uh, apologies, uh, or eventually apologies from Cuomo and the head of the state party, but now new information uh, developed by the New York Post um, that they have been approached basically by a story closely echoing the flyer last week directly from the, the Andrew Cuomo campaign. Right, and there's these questions around the state party apparatus versus the Cuomo campaign. In most ways, and for all intents and purposes, the governor controls the state party you know, their efforts to push this mailer off on someone who they seem to be saying is sort of responsible for outreach to the Orthodox Jewish community, that's basically what they've said, not in those exact words, is highly questionable, highly doubtful. Um, And the fact that then the Post was reporting that there were people directly in the Cuomo campaign pushing the same type of negative story about Cynthia Nixon, which they did not run, apparently because it's not really true, um, 
you know, raises a lot of flags. The governor has said he had nothing to do with it, had not seen the mailer, did not approve of the mailer. Some of his other top people have said that, and they've said that about his top people. The executive director of the state party, Jeff Berman, said he didn't see it. (laughs) So there's a lot of questions around how a significant piece of mail attacking the governor's only primary opponent got sent out without high-level approval. It just doesn't pass the sniff test. Um, and, and so there's still unresolved questions around that. And as I alluded to a few minutes ago, that seems to be part of the reason that the governor did not put out a campaign schedule for today, which is rare to the press, and then wound up popping up at a bunch of get-out-the-vote rallies, which then his campaign said were closed press events the day before the primary. There's a lot of fishy stuff going on. And obviously some of that is admittedly uh, inside baseball uh, that people like you and I and and other reporters look at. But um, what we don't know is what impact any of these storylines, whether it's the flyer or the bridge, the conviction corruptions early in the year of people who were closely associated with the the Cuomo administration at one point or another, uh, all the other things that have emerged during the campaign about the governor, positive or negative, how that will influence the outcome. Even the polling in this race has been few, far between, and and I don't think anybody really knows quite what to to make of it. A very large gap in the most recent poll, uh, about 40 points, I believe, between the two of them, whether that will be changed by these most recent events, whether that represents reality at all, we really don't know. The most recent poll came out just at the start of this week, shows the governor with a huge advantage. I am not ready to put any weight behind the polling. That doesn't mean I don't think the governor is a is a significant favorite. Cynthia Nixon has called the governor a significant favorite. She said she has a very narrow path to victory. Um, I think she and her supporters see the possibility that there's this huge wave of enlightened, enraged, activated progressives who are going to show up angry with the governor for a variety of reasons, excited about her very leftist platform and shock the world. Maybe there might be a slight path there, but the governor is clearly a massive favorite. He's been spent over $20 million on this race, blanketing the airwaves. We don't know exactly who's going to show up on a Thursday around the state. So he's clearly a heavy favorite. But um, I'm not ready to say that these wide poll margins mean there's no race here. I don't think we know what's going to happen when the votes are cast. And what you'll hear political people talk about over the next uh, 24 hours and perhaps beyond is that Andrew Cuomo is not merely running against Cynthia Nixon, that he's running against the spread, particularly if he has any kind of further ambitions uh, in mind, that because of his advantage of incumbency and the massive financial advantage he has, and because he has been declared a winner essentially by these polls, if he succeeds at being renominated, and we should mention this is just a renomination, general election in November, but if he succeeds at doing that, but it's in any way close, uh, that could end up being, while not as problematic as losing, a problem for him. Uh, and so I think that's part of what's what's driving uh, the governor's campaign at this moment. What has been curious about the bridge opening, the flyer, um, some of these more recent steps by the Cuomo campaign or people associated with it is that if you believe the polls, there'd be no reason to do that stuff because he's walking away with it. Uh, but there evidently is some concern in that campaign that they also don't trust the polls, that it's going to be a cakewalk. Well, and they certainly have internal polls, and who knows what those are showing. Um, but if you're an incumbent, especially if you're an incumbent from the sort of more centrist wing of the party that Governor Cuomo 
comes from, even though he's moved left over the years in certain ways, there's no reason you would feel comfortable in this environment. The the left is fired up. You know, even if you see the energy that is there and the awareness that is there around these IDC races, you have to think that all of these folks that are have been activated to support the challengers to the IDC are mostly not going to vote for Andrew Cuomo. They see him as having enabled the IDC and been happy to have a Republican-controlled Senate, which the IDC either enabled or bolstered, and are not necessarily ready for another term of Andrew Cuomo, even with a Democratic Senate. So there's that energy out there. We don't know how prolific that is going to be either. We don't know how many of these IDC senators may lose in these various districts. I think we could We'll get to this later in the show, but we could potentially handicap some of those races who seems to have a, a tougher go of it of those incumbents. Um, but if you're Andrew Cuomo, there's no reason to sit back on this major amount of cash you've raised. He can clearly raise enough money again in the general against Mark Molinaro, the Republican and other candidates um, if he survives a primary. So spend it if you got it. There's no reason to feel comfortable right now as an incumbent who's been more, you know, towards the middle than the progressive end of the party. One of the fascinating things about Election Day, obviously, or Primary Day, are the different variables that might affect the outcome. Uh, you know, a, a traffic jam that's strategically placed somewhere. Weather can often be a factor. The forecast for tomorrow in the city, at least, I think, is for uh, uh, cloudy skies and 76, but no rain. That's pretty much that's that's decent primary weather. I don't know what it looks like throughout the rest of the state, obviously. The forecast here, much more favorable than that faced by our brothers and sisters in the Carolinas uh, tonight. Uh, I think that, you know, as we as we kind of draw back from this campaign, which will end in about 24 hours, it's interesting to think about the performance of the candidates and and how they measured up to what we expected. Um, Cynthia Nixon, I think, generally ran a, a fairly smart campaign. Um, you know, there were missteps, certainly. I think that uh, in some ways, it became solely an anti-Andrew Cuomo effort, uh, but with limited resources, those are the, the arrows it felt it, it had to shoot, and it shot them. And I think they didn't have a lot of uh, buzz and echo from their press statements and speeches and stuff because they didn't have the money to get it out there. But in general, I thought they hit the, hit the notes of the critique of Andrew Cuomo fairly well. And I think she acquitted herself well in the debate. You know, she uh, that shouldn't have been too much of a surprise. She is a person who's trained to perform uh, in front of an audience. And uh, she's a person who's uh, been an advocate for many years, so not a newcomer to policy debates uh, and discussions. In general, I think that, you know, some people will certainly still dismiss her because of her background. But uh, Nixon, I think, acquitted herself fairly well, just speaking purely as a, as a candidate. I would largely agree, um, and I do want to say even before I, I give a little bit more of my take on the gubernatorial race, uh, folks can call in to discuss the the gubernatorial race and the other races that we're about to get to. We'll spend a few more minutes on the race for governor, just sort of recapping some of our thoughts ahead of tomorrow's vote, and then we'll move on to some of the other races. And I'll also say that about halfway th- through the show, we'll be joined by Jill Jorgensen, the Daily News City Hall Bureau Chief. Jill will talk with us a little bit about Mayor de Blasio's role or lack thereof in these state elections and things that she's looking for ahead of primary day. Um, Jill's work at the Daily News is fantastic, and she's got a lot of sharp thoughts, so she'll be joining us a little bit later in the show to give us some of those. Uh, So give us a call, 347-335-0818. We'll be happy to take your questions or hear your last-minute comments about who you're voting for and why. On Cynthia Nixon's candidacy, I'll say this. I think that she 
did do well in the debate, very well. Um, and that is not an easy atmosphere to be in for anybody uh, against Andrew Cuomo, one shot on TV, you know, in front of everybody who's who's paying attention in late August. Um, in terms of the campaign, I, I think I have a little bit more of a negative view maybe than than what you just gave. I think that she has not necessarily owned the subway issue quite as much as she could. They've made that a major focus. She's done a lot of appearances at subway stops and she's ridden the train and it's been central to her ads and her platform. But I just don't know that she's really owned it. I don't know that she's made it so clear that he owns the problems, that she can fix it. Um, and, And I think it goes to a little bit of the fact that she hasn't really done that many public events. I mean, her her schedules have been fairly sparse, an event or two per day most days, some days no events, a little bit strange to me. Um, and I, I understand they're putting a lot behind the digital campaigning and things like that, and you have to raise money and you have to study up and, and those sorts of things. But the, the lack of activity for a lot of the campaign has been a little bit strange to me. And that goes to the other point, which is, you know, I don't think they've had that much creativity behind it. You know, she's gotten a lot of media attention, but I, I, again, I, you know, these are not tricks of the trade that I have. This is, I'm not a consultant or a campaigner, but, you know, it just doesn't seem like, again, to get some of those moments that the people that only really pay attention a tiny bit or at the last minute would pay attention to, um, you know, it takes a little bit more creativity, I think, especially when you have such a fundraising disadvantage. So, you know, and I don't think that that she's been the strongest candidate that she even could be. And I think she's obviously got some weaknesses going in the lack of lack of government experience and the lack of policy knowledge that she's shown at times. We have a call. Welcome to WBAI. Uh, who are you going to vote for? Uh, tomorrow, I'm a registered Democrat. I'm voting for Cynthia Nixon. And why? Well, <laughs> I'm a registered Democrat who voted for Donald Trump. Now, if Miss Nixon loses, is she completely out of it for November? She doesn't have a second party line? She has the WFP, the Working Families Party line. She has been coy about whether that is something she will will use. Or- yeah, I mean, she has been a little bit coy about it. I mean, she, nobody wants to say ahead of the primary, you know, acknowledge this idea of losing. So she's sort of said, we'll make that decision afterward. And she has to talk with the WFP. But WFP leadership has been very clear that they don't want to play spoiler. And I think that basically guarantees that they will find a way to get her off that ballot line if she loses the Democratic primary, because she could draw votes away from Andrew Cuomo and and somehow pave a way for uh, to help Mark Molinaro, the Republican, win. Or if you want to say, you know, there's a long shot of another smaller party candidate winning. That's interesting for a for a Trump to Nixon voter. You know, uh, yeah, we heard they, we heard about some of the Obama to Trump voters. Now we've got a Trump to Nixon voter. Let's hear from another voter. Welcome to WBAI. Who are you going to vote for tomorrow? Thank you. First of all, I'd like to say your show is phenomenal. I really think you guys are dynamic well, and you. you're very informed. You you're very cutting edge. It's our job. Anyway, I wanted to say um, Cynthia Nixon for sure because. Tr- I believe this guy is too shady. This uh, Cuomo is too wishy-washy. and fl- He's too much in bed with these big developers, you know, that have all the money. And the IDC is not good either. But I, I, I definitely think Cynthia Nixon is, at least she's a fresh, and she's a smart woman, you know. She's not politically, you know, 
Do you think that the government experience what the government experience question? If, if the election were, if if tomorrow were the actual election, and Cynthia Nixon took office on Friday, and then <laughs> Hurricane Florence hit, would you would you expect her to be as good at, as Andrew Cuomo at managing the state in a in a real emergency? But doesn't she take power next year? Right? It's, it's <laughs> thing is a this hypothetical. is a hypothetical, it's a hypothetical this, uh, question. Know, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I feel that look, women manage so many things that they don't get credit for. I just she has skills. Obviously, being in television, she's she's a communicator. I think she'd be very hands on, and I just think she wouldn't have um, the agenda of the corporate. Um, the corporate uh, initiative in her mind, you know, seems like Cuomo's, everything is, has to refer back to his donors, you know. I think she's less, she has fewer strings attached, you I, know I, what I mean? That's the good thing. So she can operate, you know, in the moment. She doesn't have to um, think, oh, who, what's he going to say? What's this donor going to say? How much did, do these, they These are good points, you know? and, and thank you for raising them, and thank you for the call. So I think those are very, very valid points. Now, faced with some of the emergency type situation, this is where the governor is. People would say, this is why we can't have someone with no government experience. And this is why this governor needs to be there. I would say the flip side of that, and Cynthia Nixon has made this point to an extent. And again, this is another area where I'd say she has not performed that well as a candidate is she's been asked this question over and over again about her preparation and how she could take the reins of state government. And I haven't heard her give a very good, strong answer to that, which the caller was just alluding to, this idea that I'm a collaborator, I will listen, I will bring in the best experts, I will have a great team, I will make sure that, yes, whatever my policy knowledge and experience might not be there, my top deputies will have that to the hills. And what I can do is bring people to the table, hear the best ideas, be a collaborative person, and we'll find the right path detached from donors. Right. That's a, you know, there are many ways to lead, and that's an argument that, that she could have made but has not articulated. We have another caller. Hi, welcome to Max and Murphy. Who are you going to vote for tomorrow? Cynthia Nixon. And why? Well, listen, I've been I've been listening to you guys and you're making fair points and asking great questions. Um, I what I love most about what Cynthia is doing. I mean, I love her platform and I love what she's saying, but she's holding Cuomo accountable in these last months. She's pushing him to do things he wouldn't normally do. He was in a very comfortable spot and he was riding, you know, riding the fence, so to speak. And he enabled this IDC as that um previous caller had mentioned. He was enabling the IDC all the way through. I was at a fundraiser after he so-called dissolved the IDC where he showed up and I looked right at him and I said, Governor, why are you still supporting the IDC if you dissolved it? I mean, he's still riding the fence. He's still, in my mind, working this kind of big money corruption in this big money corruption world. And we've had enough of that. Um, with Trump in office in, you know, D.C., things are just very dangerous. And we need people who are, you know, not going to vote for money, you know, or work for money. They're going to work for us. I think that's a great, thank you for the call. And the point, it's a really good one. I think regardless of the perfections or imperfections of the Nixon campaign, her effect on the political conversation in the state on the governor's position on some issues has been, you know, has been important. It's weird to think that if she hadn't stepped up, 
there wouldn't have been this race or this challenge to Cuomo this year, as far as we know. Well, we had former state senator Terry Gibson briefly in the race. Uh, he was a one-term state senator from the Hudson Valley. He certainly was very unlikely to have his candidacy take off. Um, it's absolutely right. Uh, she And she has made this point very well, which is that uh, she was the only one, because she's attached from the Democratic establishment, who was willing to take on Cuomo and put this candidacy forward. I think there's some very real questions around the decision that former Syracuse Mayor Stephanie Miner made. Mm -hmm. She's a Democrat. She's running now in the general election under a newly created ballot line. If she had gotten to the race very early, I think there's questions around whether Nixon would have even jumped in because I think she partly decided to make the leap because nobody with experience from the Democratic Party was willing to take Cuomo on and really push him. And as the callers, to the caller's point, certainly the Nixon campaign, if they are not successful, will be claiming some victory in terms of pushing the governor, holding him accountable, pushing him left a bit, um, and making him earn it. Speaking of pushing the governor left and making him uncomfortable, the second position on the ballot has a race that could deliver that very same result to the governor, Jumani Williams, challenging Kathy Hochul, a lieutenant governor race, doesn't happen very often. That's been really interesting. You've done a lot of work in that. You hosted the debate between them. What are your impressions of, of that of that field? You know, you have to go into this thinking Kathy Hochul is a strong favorite. However, her name recognition around the state is nowhere near what Andrew Cuomo's is. Her favorability, and you know, is not is not there by any means. There's a lot more people in the public polls that say they're undecided in this race. Now, again, I'm not putting too much weight in those polls, but as a little bit of a metric to go on, she does have a, a significant lead in the most recent poll with a lot of folks uh, undecided. I've talked with Councilmember Williams in the last few days, um, and you know he's optimistic and feels like they've you know left it all on the field for for lack of a better phrase, and uh, feels like you know the polls certainly are not showing the type of energy that's behind his campaign. They have very different visions for the office, and I think Andrew Cuomo is certainly nervous about the idea of a. Cuomo Williams ticket. The geography of that race fascinates me because Jumani Williams obviously hailing from the city. Uh, Kathy Hochul has been fighting for the territory in the city. What upstate does in that race? I'll be really interested to see because Williams has made some effort to um, to latch on to groups upstate who are unhappy with the Cuomo regime. Whether they turn out for him in numbers, whether Hochul's appeal up there is greater, I, I'm interested in seeing. But we have a call. Let's try to get them in before our break. Hi, welcome to Max and Murphy. Who are you going to vote for? Uh, you talking to me? Hello, you're on. Yeah, I'm going to vote for Cuomo, and I'll tell you why. There's something disturbingly arrogant about Cynthia Nixon's campaign, and I'll tell you what it is. I am a very smart guy, or at least I think I am. Let's assume that for the sake of argument. Happy to. But only a fool would make me the chief executive of a hospital. I've got no background in administration. I've got no background in medicine. It happens I'm a retired attorney. I was a great lawyer, but I have in no way qualified to run a hospital, no matter how smart I am. And in that very, for that very reason, Cynthia Nixon is simply not qualified. She's, you know, as somebody who really wanted to run, maybe she should start small, being a county executive, running for the legislature. The idea of running for the chief executive of, of New York State with absolutely no experience that, he, that remotely qualifies you for it is the height of arrogance. 
Well, I think thank you for the call. And that, that's obviously a thread in some of the editorials um, by newspapers supporting the governor. Many of them outlined Cuomo's sins at length, but largely came down on the side that, you know, he, that there is an experience gap. There's a deliverability gap based on that. Governing is a hard thing. Uh, and the argument they've made is that Cynthia Nixon, whatever point she has raised and however well she's acquitted herself, just doesn't have that. She, even as recently um, as this week, has made the argument that, yes, Governor Cuomo has a whole lot of experience, but he's not necessarily that good at governing because of all these mistakes he's made, the corruption that he's overseen. Um, you know, there's there has been very little discussion in this race. There was none at the debate around, you know, state finances, management of the state budget. There's been a little bit of talk about this, the property tax cap, which, again, applies outside of New York City. But... She, you know, has attempted to make a sort of values argument, whereas he's making an experience argument, and the caller is obviously going with the experience. Um, but she has repeatedly said, you can have a lot of experience, but if it leads you to making decisions that are based on what your donors want, um, you know, what what good is it really? Uh, and so it's a very interesting choice that faces Democrats. Certainly, uh, the governor has a range of accomplishments that he's touting, um, and she's also tried to point out that if he's selling himself as a manager, well, look at the MTA in the subway. You know, there's some there's some very good counterpoints that she's made. The question, I think, for many voters is, well, do we want to hand the reins of state government over to you? So we're coming up to our break, and we'll be back with our guests soon. But before we hit that, I just want to mention quickly the attorney general's race. We could have spent a whole two hours on that alone. A fascinating contest. Both our respective outlets have done series really digging into these four very interesting heavily backgrounded candidates. Uh, we looked at some of their sort of political decisions um, over their lives, and, and you guys looked at their their legal cases. Uh, my takeaway is there's a lot to learn about each of those candidates. It really is difficult to dismiss any of them outright as just not being in the ballpark, I would say, if I were going to be voting in, in that race tomorrow. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. This is a strong field. You have four Democrats here running for the attorney general nomination. They all have their flaws. They all have issues. Those we've pointed out and others have pointed out, but they also are all fairly qualified for this role. Democratic voters have a pretty good field to choose from. And uh, if you're cramming, uh, like some are, certainly, you should check out the series that City Limits did that Jared referenced. We've got a couple recent articles. I also moderated one debate among the candidates that you can find a link to at Gotham Gazette. Um, it's a fascinating race. And right now, it looks like Lisa Eve is going to be on the outside looking in. And it's really a three-way race between Tish James, Zephyr Teachout, and Sean Patrick Maloney. And it may it could be saying. anybody's race. Yeah. So you are listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And you're listening to Max and Murphy on WBI Radio, 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. Get ready to give us some calls again in this second half hour. The number here is 347-335-0818. We're continuing our primary day preview for those eligible to vote in primaries tomorrow, which are almost all on the Democratic side, but you should you should check what's happening in your neck of the woods. Uh we're coming up on those coming up on those votes tomorrow. So we're we're previewing prim primary day and 
to shift the conversation a little bit into some of the more of the politics behind it. We are now joined by Jill Jorgensen, the City Hall Bureau Chief for the Daily News. Jill, welcome to WBAI. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So you cover the mayor very closely, day-to-day basis. Um, for those that, that might not be uh, following so closely, what's his take on this state election season been? This is a mayor who's tried to develop a real profile as a progressive leader, both in New York and nationally, um, and he's been faced with some very tough choices here in the New York state election season. Uh, how would you sort of capture where he's landed? Well, I'd sort of put it as he's decided not to make a lot of those tough choices, right? Um, You know, the the mayor has spent a lot of the summer talking about uh, his plans to sort of travel around the country and get involved in political races. But in the races closest to home, the the biggest ones, he's really sat things out. Um, You know, he has chosen not to endorse in any of the statewide races, right? So he hasn't chosen a, a candidate for governor, for attorney general, or for lieutenant governor, um, he's weighed in in a handful of um, state Senate races, backing uh, several uh, IDC challengers, but not all of them. Uh, you, you know, it's been sort of remarkable to watch. Um, Has it surprised you? Uh, you know, yes and no. I, I mean, I think it strains the credibility of his argument as somebody who, who wants to sort of go around the country and be a progressive, you know, uh, kingmaker, right? Or, or somebody who, who's going to endorse in these races outside of town when you look at a race like the governor's race these there are not two people he could know better you know what i mean R- running against each other and i i put this to him last week in a question i said you know these are two people you know really well uh, w- and you have completely different relationships with them right he's a longtime friend of cynthia nixon supports her politics clearly um you know and of course his relationship with governor cuomo is you know what disaster essentially uh, i mean they can't seem to agree on nearly anything um, but on the other hand, is it totally surprising that he didn't make a decision there? No, because what's, what's there to gain for the mayor, right? And, and possibly what's there to gain for either of the candidates, frankly. Um, but oh, that's a good Yeah, I wanted to ask, but Jill, this is Jared. <laughs> I wanted to ask about that, uh, your sense of how much of this, um, and obviously it might be different race to race, is about de Blasio not wanting to expose himself to to the, the, the blowback if the wrong candidate wins, but candidates uh, not being particularly interested in having his name associated with them? You know, it's an interesting question. I, I think there's definitely the blowback issue. And the mayor, well, he's sort of, when asked directly about that, he's sort of denied that he's afraid of anything. But when he gets asked about why he, why he was having such a hard time choosing between Nixon and Cuomo, he would often say, well, I have to think not just of myself, but of the repercussions for the state, right? Now, you can think of that in one of two ways. It could be, you know, if the governor wins and I endorse Cynthia Nixon, he's going to give me a harder time, which is almost hard to imagine at this point, um, or that he perhaps is thinking about, you know, which candidate has the state's best interest at heart, and maybe that's not the person he wants to vote for in his heart of hearts. Who knows? Um, but as, as to whether the candidates actually want his endorsement, you know, you have to, you have to wonder whether it's Cynthia Nixon might want his help um you know the, the mayor is still quite popular with um large segments of, of the electorate in new york city particularly voters of color uh cynthia nixon has uh clearly um you know she needs to connect to to that group of the electorate and there's been serious questions about whether she's able to do so um so in that sense i, I think it might have you know it might have helped her um in the attorney general's race I, I think it's a little bit more of a 
I, I don't know that he would be such a factor there. It's a crowded field, right? Like, what's the mayor's endorsement necessarily going to sway in, in a race like that? And, and of course, in that one, his, his wife got involved um, and, and endorsed Zephyr Teachout. So. Thinking about the blowback issue, I'm curious. I mean, when it comes to the governor's race, there has been a perception from the outset that de Blasio was tacitly supporting Cynthia Nixon. Many of the people who have advised him are advising her. When it comes to the governor's mansion and and, and how he is going to perceive de Blasio, is anything uh, gained or lost by de Blasio endorsing or not endorsing? Isn't Nixon seen as more or less a creation of the de Blasio movement anyhow? I, I think that's a, a totally correct read on the situation. I think, you know, I mean, who, who could who could wonder who he's really uh, supportive of when he's saying things like, you know, Cynthia Nixon is a fabulous, wonderful person and did amazing in her debate, and the governor looked a bit desperate, right? Those right. are, you know, two really different reads <laughs> on two candidates, and in any other universe might constitute an endorsement outside of politics. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, I, I think you're right. I think he, he's sort of worn his heart on his sleeve, without actually making it the hard decision. Um, and, and frankly, I, I'm not sure that the relationship could get a lot worse. I, I suppose things can always get worse. But um, Right. That's been, I mean, that's been one of my, my standard lines here in this, around this question is that, you know, I wouldn't underestimate um, Governor Cuomo's ability to make things harder on anybody uh, who crosses him. So, right. It's you not know. physically violent yet that we <laughs> yeah. know about. So. Uh, I, I mean, I think, I think there is a difference between de Blasio making some of those offhanded comments, you know, which maybe get a a news article here or there versus a full-fledged endorsement where that's blanketing the news coverage and it's forcing Cuomo into situations where anytime he's facing reporters, which is obviously pretty rare these days, you know, he's forced to to answer questions at least for some period of time right after the endorsement about how de Blasio is, is formally backing Nixon. So, you know, I think there is a degree there that de Blasio hasn't stepped over that line, even though he's made some of these comments that clearly show where his, you know, his eyes are. Um, But what happens if Nixon pulls this off and de Blasio was sitting on the sidelines? I mean, that's one of the things I like to think about. I think one of the things at play here is that he, you know, there's a viability question. There's a question about whether she can really pull this off and he, he might be hedging his bet there. Do you think that's a key piece of it? I, I think that's probably part of it. I mean, I you know, I, I think if she pulls it off, I mean, we'll be asking a lot of what now is, you know, sure. if, if that happens, right? But you know, I think you could almost look at the at the Ocasio Cortez playbook, right? There were all these elected officials who, like, the day after she won, were like so jubilant about the end of the Queen's machine and her wonderful rise, and many of those people had quietly endorsed uh, Joe Crowley, had, you know, had been afraid to sort of take that position before uh, she won. So, you know, I I suppose people could certainly handle it that way. Um, You know, I think a lot of people would be in that sort of strange position um, should it happen. I'm not sure what to read into the fact that the the, uh, Cynthia Nixon party tomorrow night is at a pretty small restaurant and bar, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I was surprised by that, considering they're also partying with Jermani Williams and Zephyr Teachout, both of whom seem to have very good chances to, or not very good, somewhat good chances to win. Um, just to go back to the attorney general primary for a second and the fact that the mayor's wife jumped in behind Zephyr Teachout and she's clearly trying to carve out her own political identity. Um, 
I found that surprising. One, I hadn't really thought about her as someone who would endorse. So when that hit my inbox, I, I was doubly surprised. One, that she was endorsing in races. And two, that she hadn't backed Tish James, who both Shirley McRae and Bill de Blasio have a pretty longstanding relationship with from, from Brooklyn roots. Um, did that catch you off guard? Do you have any sense? And, I, and I'm still surprised that de Blasio hasn't sort of out of, out of a sense of history um, gotten behind Tish James. He's staying out of that race, even though he, again, if he if he really was going with the purity of sort of his uh, beliefs might be with, with Teach Out as well. Um, did that surprise you too, that they both haven't been with Tish James? Well, you know, I mean, I think the mayor is, has referred to his wife as his uh, moral conscience once or <laughs> twice, and I, I don't know, perhaps we should read into her endorsement. <laughs> but, you, you know, I think um, it's a little bit surprising uh, uh, the first lady was actually asked about this um, uh, late last week, and she was she she didn't even really throw throw anything in Tish's direction. She she said, you know, that Zephyr Teach had his head and shoulders above the rest of the pack, and that she was so moved by her campaign, she just really felt like she needed to get involved and thought she could make a difference. Um, you know, there didn't seem to be any effort to sort of um, salvage uh, any kind of political relationship. There, I, I do find it interesting. They obviously are, you know, the mayor and and Tish James go back a, a long time. They served in the council together. They were um, on the same side of a lot of issues in the council, as as the mayor alluded to um, this week when he spoke about his decision not to endorse. You know, I think it's um, I think it's interesting that he sort of was willing to kind of criticize Sean Patrick Maloney. If we're doing, you know, the process of elimination here, it seems like he's not going to vote <laughs> for Sean Patrick Maloney. Right based on some of what he's said. So, you know, it brings it down to, to James and to teach out. And um, I think the mayor is very cautious politically. I think we've seen this sort of over and over again. He, he kind of waits for the for the wind to be blowing in a certain direction at a pretty steady speed before he jumps in on a lot of issues. And I think this may just be another example of that. That being the case, what do you think his role will be in the fall campaign once the primary is behind us? Obviously, there'll be few contested races in the city, but a lot at stake for the city. Do you see him playing much of a role? Do you think he will be forced involuntarily into a role as a, you know, a fundraising device for upstate Republicans who who have used him in the past as kind of a poster boy for uh, all the all the liberalism they fear? Right. That that's definitely an issue. I mean, he's clearly kind of persona non grata in certain areas. You know, it's no surprise to me that we haven't seen like an endorsement. Even downstate, even like, you know, on Staten Island, there's a relatively competitive congressional race coming up. Um, the mayor has not endorsed Max Rose, and I would guess that that's because Max Rose probably doesn't want his endorsement. Um, you know, I, I think that'll definitely be an issue uh, outside of New York City. He's not particularly popular outside of New York City, and you, you could question the extent of his popularity within New York City, frankly, um, with, uh, you know, some of his, uh, some of the recent headlines. So, it's hard to say what kind of role he'll play exactly. I mean, what's interesting to me is he clearly wants to play, or he says he wants to play bigger roles politically. He's started a federal PAC that's going to fund some of his travel out of the state to deal um, with politics. It sort of reminds me of the time he told Rolling Stone that people outside of New York understand him better or like him better than, than those of us who are here and are around him every day. Right, um, that, was, that was pretty early in his tenure, and he was already trying to develop this national uh, profile and uh, you know, put his foot um, right in his mouth uh, on that one. 
you know, I think there is something to the fact that um, he can go to some of these other cities and states and talk about a few of the high profile things that he's done. And and certainly there's not a lot of people there sort of poking holes in his record as, you know, not necessarily being the reformer with the NYPD or the real advocate for affordable housing, you know, that that people thought he was going to be or that he sold himself as from the left and folks on the right, you know, poking holes in his management on a variety of issues. You know, he can sort of go to some of the other places and really craft the message how he wants it. Um, and it's a lot harder for him to sort of get above the fray here in New York. Yeah, I think the fray sort of never ends in New York, right? And I, you know, <laughs> say this as a member proud member of the city hall press corps um we are you know we're we're tough um, and it's it's it sort of never ends right so uh, you know you're going to get questioned all the time um here uh, whenever we have the opportunity to ask questions which i think we'd all like that opportunity a little more often than we have it um and he you know, certainly gonna... he certainly did himself no favors by, of course, starting to try to get this, you know, get this national profile together well before he had really cemented uh, his, you know, his way as mayor in the city. In our last um, minute or two, let's just chat a little bit about who he has backed. Um, he's made these decisions, as you said, in, in a couple of a few state Senate races. Um, does he have a lot in the line? He's backed, as you said, a few challengers to these former IDC members. Zellner Myrie in Brooklyn he's supporting. He's supporting a former aide of his, Jessica Ramos in Queens, Robert Jackson in northern Manhattan. Um, and he sort of tossed an endorsement to Mar- Martin DeLon, uh, he said, sort of, you know, based on a long history together. But it's really those three IDC races where he seems to have staked himself a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I think the person he seems to be working hardest for is Jessica Ramos, um, which is not surprising. She worked for him for a long time. Um, I, you know, I think I think that's the one where he's put himself out there the most. And I, I think he's made sort of safe bets, right? Who wouldn't expect him to back uh, a former staffer of his running, you know, in an IDC race? I, it makes sense. Um, you know, and I, I, he's been, uh, I, I think... They're pretty safe bets for him. In the Zellner Myrie race, he spent his probably a second most amount of time, or just about similar to the Ramos race. And you know, he is Myrie's trying to unseat Jesse Hamilton, and the mayor had been on the on Jesse Hamilton's opponent side a, a couple of cycles back when he was first elected. So that seems like a little bit of a of a safe uh, a safe play there as well. Yeah, they, uh, Hamilton doesn't seem to be a particularly big fan of the mayor. I don't know that he's, you know, putting too much on the line there. I, I mean, that's, and that's not to say that he doesn't actually, you know, believe in Zelma Myrie, right? I, he certainly sure. should, and I think that's a, a district he's interested in. Um, you know, he loves Brooklyn. Well, Jill Jorgensen, uh, City Hall Bureau Chief for the Daily News, we appreciate you hopping on and, and talking about Bill de Blasio's role or lack thereof in these state elections. And we're certainly going to be watching to see how the mayor reacts to whatever goes down on primary day. Thanks very much for spending the time. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Don't forget to vote tomorrow, everybody. Thanks, Jill. Good point. Thanks. Tomorrow polls. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jill. Polls open at 6 a.m. will be open until 9 p.m. Uh, we wanted to mention that earlier today, the acting attorney general of the state, Barbara Underwood, uh, announced that there will be an election hotline run by the attorney general's office all day if anyone encounters problems at the polls that are preventing folks from voting, whether it's you or other voters. That number is 800-771-7755, or you could email civil.rights at ag.ny.gov. 
We'll put that on our, uh, we'll both be tweeting that out to make sure you have that, but that's something to keep handy just in case you run into trouble tomorrow. And that is something interesting to watch is election administration. This is not obviously a sexy topic, but we have seen these issues with voter roll purges in Brooklyn, you know, just again, not seemingly not for nefarious reasons, but major problems with people's ability to go cast a vote and lines at different polling places and, and you know, who knows what. So that is something to keep an eye on tomorrow. It is particularly because we don't know what turnout will be like in a, an election with relatively few voters coming out, which it could be. Uh, you know, a problem or two here or there can have a real effect, especially on the more more local races. It's something that we'll definitely be keeping an eye on. So much to talk about in the few minutes we have left. Um, just want to mention that um, many of the state Senate races we've been talking about are folks who have appeared on our on our show, the WBI show and some before it became an actual broadcast uh, uh, product. Um, you know, that includes uh, Tony Avella and John Liu, uh, Jesse Hamilton My- and uh, Zellner Myrie. Uh, Marisol Alcantara, Alcantara and Robert Jackson, Jackson Tony Avella, John Liu, uh, Jose Peralta, and Jessica Ramos. You can go to our archives to hear them talk. All and four AG some candidates, exactly. Lieutenant Governor candidates. Uh, we did not have perhaps the race that's been getting the most headlines around the world, really, which is anyone from the Julia Salazar Martin Don right. race. Uh, a remarkable sort of turn of events there over the past uh, several months. Uh, what's the takeaway? from that race is there one regardless of of outcome i have two takeaways i want to hear yours you've you've talked to both of them and and perhaps followed this more closely than i have i have one takeaway is that incumbents like delon or virtually any incumbent again who's more towards the middle or perhaps who doesn't work that hard we have a lot of folks in the state legislature who work very hard but we have plenty of folks who are not that committed to constituent services um, and really addressing the needs of their community um, need to be worried and need to worry about challengers springing up in this environment and that's part of what happened here is that sort of out of nowhere Julia Salazar who had been doing a lot of activism around NYPD reform and, and housing you know, was was pushed into uh, or supported for running against him. And so incumbents need to be very concerned. Uh, That's certainly one takeaway. And we'll see how she does. Who knows? The other one is that, though, these candidates that activists are propping up need to be carefully vetted. They need to be, um, you know, they need to be forthright with the people that are supporting them and with the public. And there's been serious issues with Salazar and her forthrightness. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, analysis that, uh, you know, there's always been the chance for insurgent candidates to pop up. Now there is a really a national network that allows them to very quickly amass the kind of finances you need to run a credible race, um, which is, uh, as you said, potentially dangerous for incumbents, something to look out for, but obviously raises the stakes for those um, insurgent candidates too. I will say that when we take a step back, whatever the result is in that district tomorrow, people will assess the treatment of Salazar by the media. Um, some folks will say it was fair, some not. It really is a series of very different questions about her past. There are people who are conservative and com- become liberal. That happens in college all the time. It's one of the reasons you send people to college. Uh, there are folks who have religious conversions. Uh, that is not unusual. It's the depictions of her upbringing um, and um, their socioeconomic status, their immigration status, apparently her academic credentials, that's where truthfulness and disclosure become uh, become more of an issue, I think. There's people all the time who are a little bit sloppy, a little bit imprecise with how they describe themselves, 
And, you know, in her case, there's some real questions about exactly what she knew about her upbringing with parents that were traveling and and some moving around. So I don't know that we know, have gotten really to the the bottom of everything that she said and why and misrepresentations that were either purposeful or not. Um, But you know, it's not the same when you're talking at a bar with somebody and being imprecise about your background and when you're putting that forward for elected office and you need to be very careful with how you portray yourself because it is the job of both your opponents and the media to take a close look at your candidacy. That's what we do with people who are potentially going to be in power or who already are in power. And, uh, you know, people need to put forward a, a clear and accurate picture of, of who they are and and what they're about. That being said, she also got caught up in a bit of a perfect storm. She Her candidacy and the attention on it caught a lot of fire right after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win. She was almost immediately seen for a few superficial reasons as the sort of next likely uh, candidate to pull something like this off and who had some similarities, including some connection to the Democratic Socialists. Um, and so, you know, quickly that scrutiny on her, which frankly, hasn't really been applied to all the IDC challengers, for example, uh, occurred. And it, it's not necessarily a negative because, again, people need to be truthful and clear. Um, but she she has been caught up, certainly, in that in that storm. And we should mention, as we come toward the end of our time, that, you know, that is not an IDC race. Dillon did not join the IDC. There are a couple other races like that. Um, uh, Blake Morris's challenge to Simca Felder is another fascinating primary. The Andrew Gennardis, Ross Barkin race, where neither of them is an incumbent. No one had a chance to join the IDC. They're looking for the chance to challenge Marty Golden. Obviously, the Jeff Klein, Alessandro Biaggi race in the Bronx. Let's talk about that for just one second. Which is, yeah, one of the marquee races of the night. Yeah, I, I, I give your take because... Jeff Klein was the leader of the IDC. Biagi's run what seems to be a very strong campaign, and that that's just a major race to watch. It is, and, and like the Avella Lou race, a place where an IDC person uh, was challenged in 2014, and the question of whether that established a map um, in a much more favorable environment now for a successful challenge. It's hard to sense in the Bronx uh, what the outcome will be, but I will say she's she's generating a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of signage out there I didn't see four years ago. We wrote a story about how one of the state's most powerful and prolific politically unions. Uh, 32BJSEIU has been all in for her and looking at the impact that could have. They have thousands of members in that district alone, um, and they activate their members, and their members have been behind Biagi in a big way. She's also gotten support from a bunch of elected officials like City Council Speaker Corey Johnson and City Comptroller Scott Stringer. How much that matters, I'm not sure, but those folks do often bring some boots on the ground and a little bit of fundraising help for sure. So they help. Um, But Klein is known as someone very present in his district who, because of his leadership of the IDC and and the choices that they made, has brought a lot of resources back as well. So we are coming down to the end of Max and Murphy on 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. For more information on all these races, check out our websites, gothamgazette.com, citylimits.org. Polls open tomorrow, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. And I will be on WBAI tonight at 9 p.m. as the polls close to talk you through some of the results, take more of your calls. Um, Jen, final thought? Final thought is that this is going to be a very exciting day that has huge, huge ramifications both for the Democratic Party in New York and for New York State, frankly, because the winners of these Democratic primaries are almost all automatically the favorites in the general election because of the heavy Democratic enrollment in New York. Thanks for listening and get ready to vote.
Hello, I'm David Rothenberg. Last spring, we presented Richard Hola's spellbinding show, simply called E, at the Commons right here at 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. Because it was not only a sellout, but Richard earned a standing ovation, we determined that E merited a second showing. E, just the letter, it stands for Edith, the pugnacious and fascinating New York woman in this tale. It'll play again at the Commons on Sunday, September 16th at 3 o'clock. Tickets are $20 a person, a benefit for listener-sponsored BAI. WBI will continue to be in on the start of this one-of-a-kind raconteur's newest and most vivid offering. Richard Holler's E, Sunday, September 16th at 3 p.m. here, right below our Crystal Studios at 388 Atlantic Avenue, Brooklyn. For ticket information, you can go to our website, wbai.org. See you at the Commons. Hello, I'm Sierra Holman at WBAI in New York, reminding you that the New York State primaries are coming up this Thursday, September 13th. New York State polling sites open at 6 a.m. and they'll stay open until 9 p.m. For more information on where to vote in your district, head to vote.nyc.gov. You can also call the phone bank at 1-866-VOTE-NYC. You know, many people complain about public transportation, unaffordable rents, the high cost of living, and some worry about police accountability and the qualities of our schools. Well, now's the time to do something about it. Remember, local government directly affects you. Be the change you want to see in your community and vote this Thursday. Celebrate the 17th Annual Vigil for International Peace and Ecology, Sunday, September 16th from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. in Central Park. It's a free event and celebration for the September 21 International Day of Peace with live music and dance performances, art installations, inspirational messages, a world peace flag ceremony, and celebration. That's Sunday, September 16th, location at Central Park's famous Nomberg Bandshell by 72nd Street, near Summer Stage and Bethesda Fountain. For more information or to join the volunteer team, go to Vigil fourpeace.org that's the number four vigil fourpeace.org bring your family and friends sunday september 16th the wbai community advisory board meeting will be held on sunday september 16th at the 60 wall street atrium at 1 p.m everyone is welcome to attend this meeting Once again, the WBAI Community Advisory Board meeting will be held on Sunday, September 16th at the 60 Wall Street Atrium at 1 p.m. Everyone is welcome to attend. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Max and Murphy heard Wednesdays at 5 p.m. here on WBAI. Stay tuned for a truncated version of Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman coming up in place of the WBAI Evening News, followed by Trump Watch with Jesse Lint. 
So keep it locked here at WBAI New York, WBAI.org online, as this is your listener-sponsored community radio station providing you a Pacifica state of mind since 1960.